In a world where standing six feet apart is recommended, Podcasticon rose from the ashes in January of 2021 for the first audio-only pop culture convention. Well, fear not. This summer, Retrofied Magazine and Podcasticon present Blockbuster, a one-day-only convention where guests and podcast hosts come together to talk about the movies and experiences that we all love. There will be panels about blockbuster movies and even a parade. Follow at PodcastCon on Instagram and Twitter and subscribe to PodcastCon on all podcasting platforms. Retrofied Magazine and PodcastCon present Blockbuster on July 3rd, 2021. The one-day audio-only pop culture convention to end all one-day audio-only pop culture conventions. Uh. Yeah. Let's go. Last bump of the night, and I'm a backstight. Back to the grind, folks. Better act right. Ready for the next time I see the bright lights. Got a train gear ready for the next fight. All this work unnoticed, gotta be blind. Disrespected again, I think I lose my mind. I got a question. Okay, I'll bite. You know that wrestling? You know it's fake, right? Damn it. The ongoing battle with the dirtiest four letter word in pro wrestling. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back again with another edition of You Know It's Fake, right? The ongoing battle with the dirtiest four-letter word in professional wrestling. My name is Brian Breaker, and I am your host. Thank you for joining me on the show today. Hope I can brighten up your Monday morning, if that's when you're choosing to listen. But, you know, if not, that's perfectly fine. That's the beauty of on-demand audio. And, of course, this is episode 18, so there's 17 other episodes in this series, if you have not had a chance to check those out, a lot of great stuff. Um, and if it's your first time joining me, thank you for checking out the show. If it's not, I appreciate you being here again. And uh, a good way to help support this show is a quick rating or review over on Apple Podcasts, if that's how you stream. And, you know, speaking of that, I always kind of look at how people listen, and there's a bunch of different podcasting platforms. Um, but, you know, let me know what you listen. How do you use it? Do you use Apple, Spotify? I feel like those are the two main ones, but maybe you listen a different way. Maybe you do use Anchor, which is what I use to produce this show. Uh, maybe something else. I don't know. But uh, however you however you stream your podcast, I definitely appreciate you being here. My guest this week is the other half of the Real Life Brothers, not Storyline Brothers. I'm talking about Scott Toon from the Fully Posable Wrestling Figure Podcast. Also from Drunk Wrestling History. Much like myself, Scott realized that, uh, hey, who needs spare time? I can just podcast all the time. And uh, he's got two really great shows over there. So definitely check both of those out. They are two uh, shows that I absolutely enjoy. Fully Posable, of course. It goes without saying, you know, I love those guys over there, especially if you're a wrestling figure collector, which we'll dive into that a little bit. And then Drunk Wrestling History, you know, a couple of dudes, you know, having a couple of adult beverages, talking wrestling. Who who doesn't enjoy that? I think we've all kind of been in that uh and that mindset, you know, most of our uh, most of our you know adult years. So it's great stuff. So I highly recommend checking out both of those shows. And you know, Scott's a great guy to talk to. I've um, I've never actually met him or his brother Jeff, um, Jeff with one F, in person. But man, just uh, getting to know them over the last several years through the world of podcasting has been a lot of fun. And I'm hoping you know I'm able to meet them in Dallas in 2022 for WrestleMania. That's the uh, that's the plan. I obviously, got derailed um, in Tampa in 2020, of course, which was. Man, a year and a half. Well, no, about a year ago, I guess. Right at about a year ago. But yeah, it's crazy to think how quickly like that plan went up, and then 
right back down. Crazy stuff, but anyway, I won't I won't keep you on the intro here too long, but like I said, I appreciate you guys checking out the show, and I hope you enjoy my conversation with the other real-life brother, Scott Toon. All right, ladies and gentlemen, joining me on the show now from the fully posable wrestling figure podcast and, of course, drunk wrestling history, where they're not always right, but they are always drunk. One of my new favorite shows, <laughs> uh, the, the one and only Scott Toon. Scott, what's going on, man? Breaker, thank you so much for having me on. It's truly an honor. Congratulations on the new show. Um Everything is great with me. It's all good. Same old, same old, man. And uh, again, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Oh, dude, man, we've uh, so we've been in communication what since like 2016 now. So going on five years, which is crazy. Um, I've got to do your show. You've done my shows. It's been a lot of fun getting to kind of meet people through the world of podcasting. Because I mean, in, in normal circumstances, we probably would have never met each other in our entire lives. Exactly. I mean, it's it really is crazy. Um, well, first of all, we got to talk about fully posable. Um, this, I, and I've told Jeff before many times. Like, I was so intrigued when I finally found a wrestling figure podcast, and I remember thinking, like, when I saw it, I was like, "That's awesome, a wrestling figure podcast, man! I hope this doesn't suck." Yeah. <laughs> well. <laughs> and and I, I started I started listening to it, and I immediately was so intrigued because of your guys' love of LJN. And Hasbro, and you know, for my money, still two of my favorite toy lines of all time. Um, and then, of course, you guys talked current stuff, and you did all these fun segments, which I thought was a, a lot of fun. And here you are; it's twenty twenty one, and you're still going strong. Yeah, thank you. And you know, before we get into fully posable, I want to thank you because you were one of the first people that reached out to us and really kind of put us on the map and started this whole podcast crossover friendship ring if you want to call it that where we have just a bunch of podcast buddies and you reaching out to us is really what sparked all that so i want to thank you for kind of kicking off fully posable um but yeah it was five years ago and we had kind of talked about doing a podcast together but we didn't really know what to do it on there were a lot of wrestling podcasts out there and jeff didn't really want to just do another wrestling figure or another wrestling podcast where there was so much competition people kind of already had their favorites now you're competing with like a hundred other wrestling podcasts. He's like, we really should just do something that is really niche. I said, okay, well, what are you thinking? And he goes, how about wrestling figures? I was like, really? Like, we've collected them since, gosh, 85, 84, 85, somewhere in there. And I was like, you want to You think people are going to listen to that? And he's like, dude, we'll just do it and see what happens. But we've collected these for so long. We're, we love them. It's never gone away. It's always been kind of... As you and I spoke before we started recording Breaker, it's kind of that common thread that Jeff and I have always had. Sure. He's like, let's just you know throw it against the wall, see if it sticks, we'll see what happens. And yeah, here we are five years later, and people really seem to be enjoying it, and Jeff and I have a blast doing it. You know, it's, it's always kind of been that common thread with us, and people are always like, you know, we like the camaraderie that you guys show when you're recording. Like, we can clearly hear that you're brothers, and you go way back, and your love really comes out in the show, and... That's really the biggest compliment that Jeff and I can ever be paid doing Fully Posable is for that to come across. Well, and I think, and this is something that a lot of people may not totally think about, but when you're getting a little bit older, because when you're a kid, collecting figures is perfectly acceptable. When you start to get a little older, that's when people may question, like, well, why are you buying toys type of thing? 
Yeah. And so for me, it was always kind of like this dirty little secret, as weird as that seems, <laughs> you know, where it's like I can't yes. tell anyone that I buy toys or I want to look at toys or, you know what I mean? And it's just that. Yes. It's that weird thing. And I feel like now, here we are in 2021, not only is it socially acceptable, it's actually kind of cool. And I think you guys are very much um, responsible for getting the wheels um, in motion for that. Thank you. And that's actually one of the questions that we get a lot. Like, okay, so you have a significant other. How exactly did you broach that subject of, hey, by the way, I collect toys? More specifically, hey, by the way, I collect wrestling figures. You know, how do you broach that subject? We get that a lot. And it's just one of those things. I've never given it up. I've never come across a situation with someone where I felt like I had to quit because of them. I was never going to do that. And luckily for me, YY fully supports it. Gosh, my hallway is completely covered with figures right now. I've got a media room in progress. There's going to be a ton of figures in there. Luckily, Shannon has always been super supportive of it. When we first started going out, I had wrestling figures displayed on my computer desk in my hallway. And she's like, oh, that's cool. Because luckily, she was into wrestling as well. So it was immediately accepted. And you're right. I think as we've kind of gone on, here we are in 2021, it's that quote-unquote nerd culture. Yes. And I think that figure collecting is part of that. And now, like you said, it's fully accepted. And, and it's great because, like you, it, like you said, too, it doesn't need to be that dirty little secret anymore. It's just accepted. Well, yeah, and, and I don't know why. I don't, and I don't know if I was, like, in my own head and thinking that, but I think that was kind of always my thought of, like, oh, I'm not going to. Like I'm, I'm excited when I buy a new figure, but I'm not going to tell anybody. I'm going to keep yes. that to myself, you know, type of thing. Yes, like I would tell Bane; he would know. But it was that weird thing of like, I certainly wouldn't put it online. I certainly wouldn't, you know what I mean? And, and so I think you guys kind of helped create that culture that we know now. Um, you know, is Fig Life and and being happy about it. And I think it's really cool because through your podcast, I've met so many other people that are figure collectors and like, I'll get to like rad. Chad's a good example. A guy I started talking to. He likes awesome dude. Yeah, absolutely. Great guy. Then I also find out he collects the NECA Ninja Turtles. So now now we can talk about that. Jason Wolf's another one. We can talk about GI Joe. We can talk about masters of the universe and all these other toy lines that are happening. It's just, it's a really cool, like commonplace for a lot of people to be like, Oh yeah, I do dig this stuff. It's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, nostalgia, it really seems to be ruling the day, doesn't it? Because it's funny, you walk into the toy aisles, and all of the stuff breaker that you and I grew up with, and a lot of people listening to this show, all the toys they grew up with, that's everything we're seeing in the toy aisles now. Yes, absolutely. It's it's Masters of the Universe. It's G.I. Joe. It's wrestling. All of the Transformers. I mean, gosh, you name it. It's still there. And it's still relevant. And it's also financially financially lucrative. I mean, there's a lot of money behind these toys as well. I say it all the time on Fully Posable. There's now dollar signs hanging on our wrestling figures on the pegs, and that's why it's so hard to find these sometimes when you go in because people are buying them up to sell on the secondary market because they're going to make a few bucks off of them. And it's it's just funny seeing all of the cool stuff that we grew up with still 30-plus years later ruling the toy game. Well, and and I think a a big thing for me, and I I would like to get your thoughts on this, I remember when I heard – about the toys that made us, which obviously you're very familiar with. Yes. There were two episodes that really caught my attention. That was G.I. Joe and that was Masters of the Universe. Yes. And I don't think it was a coincidence that both of those got relaunched 
shortly after yes. those episodes dropped because I don't know about you, but watching those, that brought back all those feelings of like, man, these are awesome. You know, I really kind of want to dig these. I want to get into these again. And now I don't absolutely. Have to, I don't have to buy old stuff. I can buy brand new stuff that's hitting now. And and in my opinion, I feel like they're more popular now than they were back then. Yeah, I would actually agree with you on that because we know that G.I. Joe and Masters of the Universe, even Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, yeah. they've had kind of a start and a stop relaunch quite a few times since they originally launched in the 80s. Absolutely. We've seen, yeah, there's been a few different Masters of the Universe figures that have come out or, or lines, G.I. Joe lines, Turtles lines. But it seems now, as you mentioned, with the toys that made us really kind of kicking off that whole nostalgia thing again, now the lines that have come out, well, it seems like there's some real footing there to where, okay, these are going to be around for a while. Like that new Motu Origins, that thing has just taken off, and people aren't going to let it go away. Even You could kind of see it, too, when WWE uh, with Mattel did that Motu crossover. I can't believe that thing's still going on. We're coming up on, what, two or three years now? Well, and what's funny about that is a lot of people were very sour about that because they blame that on the uh, the cancellation, more or less, of the retro toy line. Yes, very true, very yeah. true. So I could kind of see that. And I and I still like I stand by this. I love the retro line, but it was that was a frustrating line because I that you never saw them ever. <laughs> yes. It's, yes, it's exactly. A, or where could you get them? Yeah, right. And I mean, if you couldn't find them in the store, was it supposed to be a website I'm supposed to go to? Like, who's going to get these? Yeah. And I, I don't know how many times I'm like willingly walking into Walmart with enough money to buy the whole wave and can't find them. And then a few months later, see them at five below for half price. It's like, okay, like great that I found them there. But I mean, I was willing to pay twice as much a few months ago. Exactly. And then it's when the next series comes out, you're like, okay, do I wait for these to show up at five below? Or am I going to get hosed on the secondary market because they never showed up at five below, but Walmart got them and I decided to wait to get them for half price. Now I'm screwed because I got to pay three times as much to get them on the, it was, it was very confusing. There wasn't a clear, um, a clear launch for it as to where you could find them at. And that really sucked. And I, yeah. I don't necessarily think it was a hundred percent the Motu crossover that killed the retro line, but maybe it played a small part in it. They didn't want to have too many offshoot lines of their WWE, but Man, the Motu thing has really taken off, so it's no big surprise that Origins is really seeming to take off with collectors. The WWE crossover one is still going with them, which when it first came out, it wasn't necessarily Jeff and I crapping on it like we did the zombies or the mutants or whatever they were when they came out. But we were like, okay, we're going to probably stay away from these gimmicks, which, spoiler alert, Jeff has not. He's the worst. <laughs> he still dives in. That's why I know he's going to they... eventually dive into Radical Skedaddle and be all about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the jury's out there, Breaker. I don't know about that one. <laughs> now, Strawberry Kiss Delish, that's a different story. That was pretty tasty, isn't it? <laughs> oh, it's great. We found it at the um, at our local Food Max the other night, and I couldn't believe it. We bought like four cans. Yeah. I was like, wow, finally a new flavor. Right. Um, but, you know, the whole, the whole thing with the Motu crossover, and Jeff and I talked about it, was – Okay, we're probably not going to get involved in these, but if it does well, that bodes well for other ventures for Mattel WWE to go out. Like maybe it'll bring the retros back if they're super successful. Sure. But the one thing that's going to fuel this line is the fan interest. Guys that love or gals that love Motu and love WWE and want to see that crossover, it's going to be the fans that keep it going. Here we are two, what, three years later, that thing's still going. And it's crazy, and I think that it's great, and every series that's come out has been better than the previous. Well, and they're not sticking around on the pegs. They they move Exactly. Quickly. Yeah. Yes. 
Well, and, and my thought that I don't know if I've told you guys this, um, I had I was after the I watched the toys that made us and saw Masters of the Universe, and I'm like, man, they, those were some cool figures. And you know, I I was born in '85, so by the time I was two or three years old, Masters of the Universe was kind of starting to die off a little bit. So I didn't really have many of those. If any, gotcha. I mean, I had my cousins, my older cousins had some that I would play with, but I didn't have a lot myself. And so when I watched that, that documentary, I was like, man, I really want to collect some of those. And I talked to actually Jason Wolf and he was like, well, actually you may want to wait. Cause I think Mattel's getting ready to relaunch it. And I was like, Oh really? He goes, yeah, they super seven lost the license. I think Mattel's getting it back. I mean, it's theirs, but they loaned it out to super seven. I was like, Oh, okay. right. And he's like, so stay tuned for comic-con. I bet they announced something. And I'm like, awesome. So I'm, Geared up for Comic-Con, obviously, as you know, because that's a big day for figure collectors. Yes. Lots of reveals and, and news and things like that. And so I'm, I'm hoping to see some new Masters of the Universe figures. Not only did I see those, I saw a WWE crossover. I'm like, whoa. So my mind was blown, and I was immediately like, awesome. Like, I want all of these. I think this is great. I think it, it kind of slap some other people in the face a little bit because they're expecting new waves of retros and like, oh, I hope we finally yes. see this guy. And all of a sudden you're seeing a Ultimate Warrior with a spear. Not exactly what they had in mind, you know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, you know, for exactly. me, I, yeah, for me, I was like, oh, this is this is great. And, you know, I think initially it wasn't such a huge takeoff because I would see them on the pegs a lot. Now, as soon as they hit, they're gone. So, yeah, I mean, who knows? Yeah, they it, are really tough. It could be a line that sticks around for a while, but... Um, to kind of kind of tra- uh, transfer over, I brought up earlier drunk wrestling history. This is the side project you're doing. Um, <laughs> yes, this is a, this is to me a classic case of two guys getting together, drinking some alcohol, watching wrestling, or talking about wrestling. But instead of just doing it to yourselves, you decide to record it and let everyone enjoy. I think that's a great idea, man. I dig it. Thank you. And obviously, the inspiration came from drunk history. We were uh, sitting around an Italian restaurant one night, Eddie and I and a bunch of friends, and we started talking about doing a podcast. And we didn't know what to do, and it was one of those things like, okay, it's the same conversation Jeff and I had. There's a 100 wrestling podcasts out there. Like, what right. can you bring to the table if we are going to go down that road? Because that's how Eddie and I did it. And I don't want to forget about Adam, our host, either, but Adam's not the drinker. But every time we would hang out, even when Adam was there, Eddie and I would sit around and drink, and we'd either put wrestling on the network and or we'd be talking about it. So it's something we've been doing for years and years, and that's how it came up that, okay, well, we can kind of put our own spin on it and draw a little inspiration from Drunk History where we'll just drink, and instead of like watching wrestling on the network and just having a conversation, we'll put some microphones in front of ourselves, and let's see what happens. And we sat down the first time and recorded, and it was like, okay, I think we've got something here because we kind of went with what we knew Right off the top of our heads, which, of course, for Eddie and I, our favorite WrestleMania is WrestleMania 4. So that was one of our first episodes right out of the gate. And it went so well, we're like, okay, I think we've got something here because it is a little bit different. Um, we kind of put our own little spin on everything, and you know, we try to make it as humorous as possible for people. And the, the alcohol intake is very real, <laughs> very real. <laughs> but but it's, it's a lot of fun, and really... Eddie and I go way back in in where we start with wrestling, which is mid-80s. And Eddie didn't really watch too much WCW, NWA, AWA. He was really a WWF kid. Even into the 90s, he didn't really watch any WCW. So it's been kind of fun to kind of have him go back and watch things like Starcade 89, Starcade 90. You know, to have him kind of watch these, these other events. He was a big ECW kid. 
but not really NWA or WCW. So it's been fun to kind of reintroduce him to those because he was kind of familiar, but he hadn't really sat down and watched them. So that's been really the fun part, too, is kind of getting him to go back. Just like with Fully Posable, we talk about old wrestling figures, and it's really rewarding when we hear people say, okay, I wasn't super familiar with, like, Remco or Galoob, but I've gone back and looked. Man, I love it. I went and bought a bunch of them. Same thing when we do a Drunk Wrestling History episode. People say, I didn't really watch that pay-per-view, but I gone, I went back and watched it, and I loved it. So it's, it's very rewarding when we hear things like that. Oh, definitely. And I, and I think that's what's, what's interesting about wrestling sometimes is because we – we tend to go back to what we grew up with. Like for some reason, I will always love early nineties WWF. And like, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot better wrestling out there, but that's what I, that's what I first remember. Right. Late eighties, early nineties. Right, right. And and that's what you kind of go to. And so it is kind of fun to watch new stuff or, or stuff that you haven't seen in that era. Like I love watching a pay-per-view on the network that I've never seen just because I've never seen it. Like I'm, right. I'm familiar maybe with the build, I'm familiar with the card, but I've never actually seen the matches. So um, the network is very, very fun in that regard. I think sometimes there's weights, there's so much previous content, like older, like retro archive content that people don't, they kind of sleep on because there's a lot on there. Oh, there really is. And it's kind of cool too, because a lot of the pay-per-views in the 90s, I, I did watch them. Jeff and I watched them religiously, but a lot of them I've only seen once. Right. And yeah. I haven't seen, yeah, so I haven't seen them since I originally watched them in the 90s. And so now with Drunk Wrestling History, I'll use SummerSlam 98 as an example because that's one of our upcoming episodes. I honestly had not seen SummerSlam 1998 since SummerSlam 1998. So it was awesome to go back because the Attitude Era is, I mean, let's be honest that's a lot of people's favorite era even more so than the 80s for a lot of people so getting to go back and watch SummerSlam 98 it was awesome I had forgotten gosh easily 95% of that card I remembered Austin the Taker that was it I didn't remember the rest of the card so it was cool to go back and watch it so much like I'm taking Ed and having him watch those early WCW pay-per-views he's kind of doing it to me with Attitude Era so it's a nice trade-off it's a it's a fun show to do for sure, man, and I highly recommend everyone checking it out. It's 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 been a lot of fun, and I think it's so cool to just have all the different topics, you know, because you can kind of go any direction you want. Like you said, you can watch an old show, or you can just talk about an individual. Like, hey, we're just going to talk about Bobby Heenan or or whoever it might be. I yes, think it's, I think it's a lot of fun. Thank you, Breaker. I appreciate that. But one little catch: don't listen to it with your kids. Fully posable, family friendly for the most part. Drunk wrestling history, not so much. <laughs> So keep that one in mind. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> yeah, that, that's awesome. Uh, well, of course, the name of this show is called You Know It's Fake, Right? And, of course, that's kind of a, a jarring title, obviously. And the reason I named uh, By the it, way, I love it, Breaker. Thank that you. That is a great title for the show. I love it. Well, and what's funny is almost every person I've talked to has a situation where someone finds out, and I'm sure you do as well, where like, oh, you, you watch wrestling. Like, yeah. You know it's fake, right? Almost as if you're that one person on the planet that never yes. knew. And so I'm, yeah. is it like that for you as well? Oh, all the time. All the time. And, oh, you don't watch UFC. You know, that stuff's real. Okay. Well, sure, it is. But you know what? I like the male soap opera. I enjoy it. I love it. It's storytelling to me. I've loved it since the 80s. It's never gone away. It's not going to go away. You don't need to tell me that it's quote-unquote fake. I know it's scripted. I still love it. You do you. I'll do me. Let's all move forward. But it, it never fails that every time you tell somebody, Breaker, you do get the, you know, it's fake, right? It happens every time. 
we were at a restaurant watching a UFC pay-per-view, and we were just there to really just kind of hang out with some friends and drink a little bit. And it came up that I watched wrestling, and they're like, oh, like, you don't watch, like, this is real combat. Like, you watch the, yeah, I do. I do. I watch the fake stuff, and I love it. And that's just what it is. But it kind of goes hand in hand with the toy collecting thing. But that was years ago when people would kind of give you the stink eye a little bit when you told them you collected figures or whatever. Now, you still get the you know it's fake when you watch wrestling. And you know what? You go into the ring and take a power bomb and walk out and tell me that that's fake. I told this I actually had talked with Eric Brown from doing the favor and I told him this story but I'll tell you as well because it's so it's such a perfect story because I I remember hearing this years ago but I just was reminded of it from my dad we know this guy he's um he's real my he's not quite my dad's age but he's kind of in that same age bracket there and he was telling me and my dad because you know of course people find out I'm a wrestler they immediately got asked questions which is kind of been my life for the last several years <laughs> and so he was saying he's like yeah i was up at the uh the tulsa convention center which is of course was was our previous big arena here in town and uh you know they were setting up a, a show and they had the ring set up i'm like yeah and he goes i was the only one in there they were already gone so i i just ran up there and i jumped the guardrail and i got up on the top rope and i jumped off and i hit back first and i was like oh oh and he was like it almost killed me <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just sitting there thinking, like, well, yeah, like, I'm surprised it didn't, you know, like, well, and I'm just, you're I'm, still walking, right? I'm just looking at him, so perplexed that he would that he would do this, and I'm like, yeah, I bet that did hurt. Like, the ring's not, it's not soft. He's like, no, it's not. I really thought it would be kind of like a trampoline or something. <laughs> I was gonna say, probably thought it was a trampoline. Yeah, and, and, I, and I know that that's usually the common conception and think it's like a trampoline or like a bounce house or something right and i'm like okay well you do realize like 300 pound men are on this thing and it's not bouncing it's it's steady and he's like yeah and i can see like i can see the <laughs> the, the the light bulb going on you know like oh okay maybe it's not as soft as i thought i think sometimes the misconception is when you when you hear wrestling as a show it's entertainment it, whatever you want to call it that automatically means nothing hurts and everything, you know, it's just, it's not anything. And I'm like, yes. you know, I've never, I've never watched a fight scene in a movie and thought, okay, well maybe those swords aren't sharp, but it's still a <laughs> metal sword, right? Yes. I mean, like, or they're, they're still really kicking at each other. Like I'm sure some shots still land. Like we've heard that. We've all heard the story that Steve Austin broke Sylvester Stallone's neck on that fight scene in the Expendables. It's not yep. – it's very physical. It happens. So that's the thing that's always kind of baffled me about people's perception of pro wrestling. They, they hear, oh, that that stuff is fake. It's entertainment, whatever you want to call it. And all of a sudden that means nothing hurts and all that stuff. I mean there's human error. Look at Bobby Eaton's top rope leg drop. How yeah. close he could be to landing on your face. Yeah. And how bad of a day that would be if he did. But he hits yep. it perfect every time. And and for some reason, it, it baffles me that people don't look at that and see, like, wow, that's a lot of skill for him to do that and not hurt anybody. That's the art form I've always felt. And it's – I don't know. It's just – it's one of those weird things. Like you were saying, someone finds out you're a wrestler. It's almost like they have to immediately say, like, oh, you watch the fake stuff or, oh, that's fake or whatever it is. They always have that comment. But if you were to say, like, oh, I like UFC, no one bats an eye. Yes, exactly. I always correct them when they say, oh, you know, that stuff's fake. No, it's not fake. It's scripted. They walk in. It's predetermined. 
But everything that they do in that ring is 100% real. Guys have broken necks, as you mentioned, Breaker, all the different injuries that have happened and sure. could happen. It, it, there's no way that that's fake. It's scripted, yes, it's predetermined, but no way in hell is it fake. So that's kind of my argument that I make when people throw the, the quote-unquote fake word out there. No, it's scripted. It's it's very real. <laughs> in the ring, all of the, the combat, everything, the bumps that they're taking, everything is real, and it hurts. And I, you mentioned the story about the guy jumping back first into the ring. I've actually got one. I went to a TNA show back in 2008 with a friend of mine, uh, Sean, and after the show, Kurt Angle was doing pictures in the middle of the ring. You could go in and get your picture taken with Kurt Angle. And I was at this TNA show. My buddy Sean was actually getting married that weekend. And I was like, hey, dude, let's just go get our picture taken with Kurt Angle. You can put it up in your in your room or whatever. Be a memory of us being at the show on your wedding weekend. He's like, yeah, cool. So we wait in the long line. We, we go to get into the ring with Kurt Angle. And he gets in first. And then I go to get in. Now, I'm a little bit shorter than Sean. He gets in no problem. I go to get in, and I step between the second and the top rope, and I had put the rope down, and I let it up too early. It racked me. Mm-hmm. Right between the legs, the rope racked me, and I said, you know what? That is my lesson. I am never stepping foot in a ring again. I'm not cut out for this. <laughs> and if you look <laughs> at the picture, I, I'm almost doubled over. Like I, I might be smiling for the picture. I was in so much pain. I left that ring. I said, never again. <laughs> Racked my nuts. My first attempt going in, never stepped foot in there again. Well, and I'm sure as you realize, just putting your hands on the ropes, like, wow, those aren't soft. They're not like rubber bands. They're very they're very thick. They hurt, obviously. Yes. Um, yes. I mean, like, I don't know how many people I've seen getting in the ring and they don't have their hands on the ropes. And, you know, that was kind of a, a thing that was broken into me in one of my early days of training to like, keep your hands on the ropes. Why? Then they go kick that middle rope. That's why. <laughs> oh, and you realize yep. very quickly, like, oh, okay, gotta protect yourself. You know, so y- yes, yes, yeah. many dangers involved. Definitely not for me. Mad respect to you for going in there and doing that, man, because it's anything but fake. That's for damn sure. Yeah, and, and like I said, it's always it's always been a very strange, um, I guess, perception that wrestling has had. Um, and you know, and I I kind of think sometimes the business is to be blamed to some degree because they do kind of intertwine fiction and reality at times. And sure. so you don't know what to believe at, at, at different times. I mean, but at the same time, like I, I remember very specifically, this was back in like 99, I think edge was actually on a news channel trying to defend the wrestling industry. And this guy called in, he's like, I'm a lifetime fan, but yeah, there's something there's something about, you know, today's wrestling, it's just it's just too much. And he's like, but why is it too much? And, you know, Edge was speaking from a company guy perspective, which I understand, but he's like, why? And he's like, well, you know, like Undertaker was sacrificing Midian, and he was like cutting his wrist and making him drink his blood. And he goes, yeah, but didn't a similar thing happen in the Star Wars movie with Darth Vader? Didn't he cut his wrist or something? Uh-huh. And and um, he's like, well, yeah, but that that's a movie. This is real life. And Edge stops. He goes, no, it is not. This is not real life. <laughs> 100% not. And the guy almost like, you could just hear it in his voice. He's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and I remember just being like so kind of taken aback by that. But I was like, man, that's such an interesting point. It is entertainment. It is not meant to be like, but I'm mean, granted, yes, The Undertaker, that stuff he was doing in that time was, was a little much. I, I remember specifically, I've told this story before where my dad happens to walk in the room right when that scene is happening. 
Oh man, and that's a hard one to explain. <laughs> like, yes, what are you watching? Um, <laughs> wrestling. <laughs> He's like, this is wrestling. Yeah, it's like, what is going on? Like, you know, he had the creepy throne and all that stuff. Um, yes, it comes across a little campy nowadays, but at the time, it was kind of it was kind of over the top. It was a little, it was a little much, I think, especially for you know me being thirteen or fourteen years old. Yeah. Yeah, but that was that Attitude Era, too. Sure. They kind of got away with stuff, and today it wouldn't fly. But back then, it was pretty much no holds barred to push the envelope. Well, and, and that's what it's what's so crazy about it, because they'll, they'll do stuff like that, or Austin with the beer truck, or the, you know, the Zamboni, all this crazy stuff that's happening. Like, I mean, do you really think, like, Vince McMahon didn't know Austin's going to drive a freaking Zamboni in the ring? Like... <laughs> You didn't see that sitting back there? Come on. <laughs> right. I mean, that, that's that's what – but again, that's what makes the wrestling business – it's what makes it so fun. Like I'll never forget the the night Mike Tyson shows up in WWE. I think we all remember that iconic moment, Austin pushing him or you know, giving him the double birds. Mike pushes him back. I was there. Oh, awesome. Yeah, wow. What a night. I was at that show. Yep, yeah. It was in Fresno. It was awesome. Yeah, one of my favorite things about that is all the agents pulling Austin back, and Vince is ca- ha- like half outside the rings, like you're on the damage, you're on the yeah, <laughs> and Austin yep. just flipping him off. But it's yes. like that's that's such good stuff. Like I mean, I can I remember all those moments. Like you said, you were there live. Like what a cool thing to say. Like you were there, you witnessed that history. Like it's so much fun. Oh, it was. Yeah, it was incredible. The The place was so electric, and, like, you could feel it was going to be something big. Like, when they originally announced Tyson coming in, you're like, Ugh, okay, so they're bringing in a has-been boxer. Right. Yeah, Tyson's a badass. Okay, this is going to be lame. That event right there in the ring completely sold me. Austin was the hottest thing in the company. Now you're bringing in Tyson, who's a legitimate badass, and they're shoving each other in the ring. Okay, they've got something here, and the whole pull apart just completely set the tone, set the scene for WrestleMania 14, and I was sold. Hook, line, and sinker that night. I think a lot of people were. I think that they talk about that kind of being the moment maybe. I don't think ratings-wise they started winning yet, but that's the moment it's shifted for sure. No, it was a turning point, absolutely. Yeah, I, I still really think there's two major moments in wrestling that, that shifted the momentum completely. One of them, and this is just me personally, but I was a Razor Ramon guy. He was my guy. Loved Razor. When they announced he was coming back to the WWF, I was so excited. Oh. And I, then <laughs> yes. I saw Rick Bogner walk out there. Oh, not a knock yeah. on, Not a knock on him, but I remember just, even at that age, I was probably only 10 or 11, being so disappointed. Yes. I felt like I was lied to, you know? And I think that was the point when WCW became the show for me. And to kind oh, of you actually it. did jump then. You switched. Oh yeah, I did. I that was okay. well, and I I still watched both. Don't get me wrong, but I felt as though I was more of a WCW fan at that point. Okay. And then I think the moment I realized that WCW was like doomed, no pun intended, that finger poke of doom. <laughs> yeah, you know, I can like see that. that was that was such. I remember again watching that, and you know, it's Hogan and Nash. This is a big match. Nash yes. just beat Goldberg, the most unbeatable guy in the history of WCW. Hogan pokes him with the finger. And even the announcers are like, what the hell? Like, what just happened? And one, two, three, Hogan's the champ. They all celebrate. And it's just like. It was garbage. Yeah, it was. And and I've heard them try to defend that in the past. And it's still one of. Because, I mean, I know on the other hand, people are like, well, you know, Triple H and Sean kind of did that when. 
you know, Triple H won the European belt and all he did was hit the ropes a bunch. And yeah, I get that. But that was them. They were like spoofing Sergeant Slaughter because he forced them into this match. And like, okay, fine. You're going to make us do that. We'll just go out there and make a mockery out of you. And they weren't enemies going into the match. They right. were buddies. But Hogan and Nash were supposed to be enemies. There was this whole thing. And then the finger poke of doom, it was garbage. And they kind of crapped on Goldberg's streak by doing that too. Well, and that was the thing. It was like, why why would Nash just hand the title over? Yeah. Like that never made sense to me. It's like, you really? That's like your first time to be the WCW champion. Why would you yep. just hand that over? Like I, I never got that. Well, and look, you're actually right because WCW was gone not too long after that. Yeah, well, I think that, again, I think that's when the downhill started because I remember. Absolutely. I remember ordering, and then honestly, it probably started before that. I remember ordering Halloween Havoc 98, and of course, that's the the infamous Goldberg DDP match that didn't ever really show, never really happened. And Hogan Warrior, which might be one of the worst matches ever in history. I would agree with you on that. It's horrible. It's 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 actually hard to even watch. It is so bad, and um, it is. You you saw what they did at WrestleMania six, and then you watched that match. You're like, that's not the same guys. No, no way. Not, <laughs> not even close. But I remember telling people like, hey, I'm ordering Halloween Havoc because my birthday's in October, so I was always able to order like the the Halloween Havoc pay per view or No Mercy, whichever one I wanted that year. Okay, and, and so you know, I ordered Halloween Havoc and. Absolutely just horrendous show, but I think I had 30 people show up at my parents' house that day to watch that. Wow. That's how popular wrestling was. And then I... Damn, you almost had like a Nitro watch party at your house. No, no doubt. Like one of those kind of parties. No doubt. And then I remember ordering Halloween Havoc 99 again, which again, that one was not a great show and WCW was definitely on the downhill, but... Yes. It's still that thing of like, I'm still a fan, I'm still watching... And again, just an absolutely like horrendous show. Like Hogan's supposed to wrestle Sting. He just comes out and lets Sting pin him and then he's gone. You're like, what is going on here? And then it just like so many things that did not make sense. So many huge mistakes. I don't know. It just, I think it solidified that I'm like, okay, this company's pretty much done. And you know, I think I still, I still watched, you know, when it was on because that's what we do as wrestling fans. But most of that was just so bad. Yeah, and, you know, Jeff and I were really WWF kids growing up, and that didn't change much during the late 90s when there was that whole WCW-WWF competition thing going on. We didn't really watch a lot of WCW. We we knew what was going on. We read enough results. We'd watch the occasional show. We did watch Starcade 97. Um, but, man, there wasn't a lot to really sink your teeth into after, like, 98 with WCW, as right. far as I would concern, because they had, like, what – the, the Millionaire's Club or something and the New Blood and all oh, that. That was, that was so just, bad. Oh, it was horrible. It was just completely lost on me, and it just solidified me even more in the WWF camp that, yeah, I can't with WCW. But, man, you want to talk about lightning in a bottle with the NWO? I hadn't seen anything like that since Hulkamania. It was insane when they hit the NWO. And what's weird is it seems longer than it was. What was that, about two years? About two years, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they watered seems, it down, and that's what killed it. Yeah, but I mean, like ninety six, mid ninety six, when Scott Hall shows up, you could kind of call that the official beginning. And then, really, by the finger poke of doom, it's done. What two and a half years? Yeah, I that mean, was it. Yeah, they they kind of brought it back here and there, but essentially, that was it. I mean, it's just that doesn't even seem like real in that in that regard. It's like really, like that's completely gone. But and it's not that WWE or WWF didn't 
do their own things. I mean, like the invasion, that should have been an amazing angle, and it really wasn't either. No, they really shit the bed with that one. That one was pretty bad. That could have. It had so much potential, and it just never played out like you kind of, like pretty much everybody hoped. Yeah. Um, you never had the big names come in like Sting. That would have been incredible if they had landed Sting. That would have made the invasion very real or Goldberg. But Sting, they just couldn't Goldberg, do it. Hogan, Flair—you got a few of those guys. It would have been a totally different story. I agree. Yeah, and unfortunately, Hogan came in the next year with the NWO, and that failed again. <laughs> yes, it did. Yeah, and again, I loved the vignettes of Vince doing that. Like, you know, I'm gonna have to kill my creation and all that stuff. That was great, and then he flips that chair around, and you see the NWO in spray paint. It's like, whoa. Yeah, it was, was incredible. That was good stuff, but it just didn't, yeah. didn't happen. Yeah, unfortunately, that was the best part of the whole thing were <laughs> Vince's vignettes. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, kind of talking about the good and bad of wrestling here, Have you have, has your fandom ever kind of where you're like, I'm tired of this or, or whatever? Or Because I know we all have those high points where we're really digging what they're doing. We can't wait to watch. We really want to see this match. We want to see that angle. But there's also those lulls in wrestling where you're just, like, not really feeling it. Do you ever have any of those? Uh, lately, yeah, with Raw. I, I, I just can't – I'm not really into Raw. Now, SmackDown has been great. Sure. But lately with Raw, I've been eh, very, very lukewarm on it. Like, I'm keeping track of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, SmackDown's been great. NXT is always, really for me, the cream of the crop. Uh, to be perfectly honest, I haven't really watched much AEW at all. I kind of know what's going on over there, but sure. I, I I haven't watched it. It's just a lot of wrestling on TV right now, Breaker. It's a lot to keep up with. I don't know how anyone could keep up with all of it. It's insane. I mean, you've even got the offshoots like TNA and ROH um, and JPW and NXT UK. Like, there's all these other ones to watch in addition to the big ones of AEW, Raw, NXT, and SmackDown. I don't know how anybody keeps on top of it and actually can watch Every show within a week in that week. It's just, it's so time consuming. But, you know, I've, maybe in the mid 90s, I got a little bit sideways with the product. Like, okay, these gimmicks that they keep throwing out there, like, now I'm kind of hip to the game and I kind of see what they're doing and they're trying to, to have what worked in the 80s work in the mid 90s. And it wasn't really working in characters like Duke the Dumpster Drossy and Doink the Clown, who was great, but like, Later on, Doink. You know, there's all these different characters they're bringing out that just really aren't like the Cowboys with the smoking guns. It's like, okay, guys, can we just kind of stop with this? So I did get a little burned in the mid-90s, but I still watched all the time. It, it, it didn't kill my passion for it. I just got a little bit tired of them trying to throw characters against the wall and see what stuck. And that would probably be the only point where I really ever wavered on wrestling. You know, I've had this theory for a while because I agree with what you're saying. But, you know, I've heard that there's plans for possibly an NXT Japan and I've heard of possibly an NXT Mexico and all this other stuff. Yeah. And like you hear that and you're like, oh, that's cool. But I still don't think the answer is we need more wrestling because no. like you were saying, there's so much right now. But, you know, I was thinking about it back when I was younger and I'm sure you feel the same way. I was yearning for wrestling. I wanted to watch more wrestling. Yes, and and I think, and then real life hit right. <laughs> yeah, right, and, and but also too, like the wrestling shows were a lot shorter back then. You watch a WWF Superstars episode; that's one hour. One hour. Yep. And and now Raw's three hours, SmackDown's two hours, NXT's two hours. I'm sure. I don't know if Impact's two hours. I would imagine that it is. I mean, that's it's a lot of wrestling. That's a ton of wrestling. And nowadays, there's a lot of really good television shows too. 
And so what do you skip? I mean, I don't know how it is for you. I know when I, back when I had cable, I would have DVR. I'd look on my DVR and I have nine episodes of Raw saved. It's like, yeah. Jeez. Like, you know, and so it's like my thought was like, well, I want to go watch them all, but that's almost impossible to do. Yeah. You've got almost 30 hours worth of content right there to catch up on. And even if you're fast forwarding, that's still quite a bit of time you're devoting to try to catch up on Raw. Right. And my issue with it, too, is Raw's three hours, SmackDown's two hours, NXT is two hours. Their roster is so bloated. There are so many talented guys not getting on TV just because they have so many names on the roster. Right. And that's the frustrating part for me is, like you said, is the answer more wrestling? I don't think that it is. Like, maybe it needs to be thinned down a little bit, spread the talent level around a little bit more. But, man, there are so many good guys out there and good women out there that aren't being showcased just because the roster is so bloated. They can't find time for everyone. And that's the real frustrating part for me. Well, and and I think even like with AEW, like I've kind of heard the complaint with that too. Like, I I mean, as we record this, this will already be kind of late news, but when this drops, but they signed, you know, Paul White, the big show. Yeah. Didn't expect that at all. No, that was completely blindsiding, right? Nobody saw that one coming. Well, and you think this guy's a WWE lifer, 100%. Exactly, yes. And all of a sudden, he's signed with AEW as going to be a commentator and an occasional wrestler. It's like, whoa, okay. They recently signed Sting. Looks like he's getting back in the ring, in fact. And actually, he will have had that pay-per-view match by the time this drops. So, again, you look at AEW, and it's like, okay, but you sign a Sting or a Paul White now, as he's known, which is still weird to say, because he's the big show, right? <laughs> yes, he's, he's always going to be the big show. Sorry. <laughs> right, right. But you sign these guys like, okay, well, what does that mean for your lower tier talent? Like, there's a team over there called the Butcher and the Blade that I haven't seen work a lot. I want to see more of those guys. Yeah. And I want to see yeah. I want to see the best friends. I want to see all these other people. So it's it's kind of almost the same thing, right? Like, there's only so many hours available. And so I've even heard AEW starting a, a second or a third dark episode called like Dark Elevation or something. So it's going to be a secondary show to AEW Dark. Again, falling back to, okay, is that the answer? More wrestling? It's, it's I don't know. It's a very, very weird thing that how the business is because who's keeping up with all of this? Who's watching main event or superstars or any of that stuff? I, I don't know who could possibly have time to do all that. It, it's impossible. I remember as a kid. I was born in 74, and my heyday of wrestling, watching all of it, was up until about, I would say, 92. So an average day for me in the late 80s was Saturday morning superstars, like you mentioned earlier, a one-hour show. In the afternoon, NWA came on at 3.05, two-hour show. During the week, if I was home during a summer break, ESPN had the AWA on from noon to 1. So during the week, that was five hours of wrestling, and the weekend was three hours of wrestling. Eight hours a week of wrestling? Eh, that's kind of doable. Now, 2021, oh my gosh. It's, what, triple, quadruple that, if you count all the different promotions? It's insane. And I don't know necessarily that more programming is the answer, because then, then you start to get into an oversaturation kind of thing, mm-hmm. and maybe burnout by the fans. And I, I, I really don't know if that is the answer. I, I want to see everybody gainfully employed and showcased. And the only way to do that really is to put more programming on. But we don't have enough time now to keep up with all the programming. So what's the right answer? Man, I don't get paid enough. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
It's, it's I don't pretty, know what it is. Yeah, it's pretty wild. I know that. I mean, I think sometimes, and this is another thing too. I thought of you know, I I know some people have ordered every single pay per view, but not everybody orders every pay per view. But now they're all in the network, so yes, a lot more people can watch it. But again, the week of the pay per view, you got a three hour pay per view, a three hour Raw, two hour SmackDown, two hour NXT, one hour NXT UK. Yep. And that's if you're trying to watch everything. That's a lot of stuff to take in. Plus, there's the NXT takeovers. Plus, the NXT UK takeovers. I mean, yep. it's a lot. It's a lot for anybody. So, I, I feel like I'm kind of at that point where I watch occasionally when I want to see something. But I, right. I can't – it's hard for me to dive in deeply into anything because it's just so much. Yeah. In, in the world of adulting, unfortunately, all of us are in it. And you kind of have to be selective with what you're watching because you don't have time to devote to all of it. So me, for example, I will watch all of the pay-per-views. WWF, I will watch all the pay-per-views. I will watch all the WW, or the, the NXT takeovers, all the WWE pay-per-views. But Raw and SmackDown, I'll be perfectly honest, it's, it's either skim through it on DVR or read the results online. Just right. to kind of keep on top of what's going on so when the pay-per-view hits, I know what's going on. Just because there's so much other stuff going on, it's it's just impossible to keep on top of it. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely get you there. Um, to kind of change gears, I know 2020, one thing that it did bring, besides a very strange world for sure, um, the relaunch of the G.I. Joe figure line with the G.I. Joe classified line. Um, I'll be honest, I, my fandom for this really came from watching the Toys That Made Us, as I mentioned earlier, and seeing how yes. how cool it was that G.I. Joes were coming back in a six-inch scale. And Hasbro, of course, was really doing a really good job with like Marvel Legends and Power Rangers and things like that. So I knew that these would be really cool. Um, you're a big G.I. Joe fan. I know you're you're big into collecting these. Uh, was that something you were you initially thought you would collect? How did that come to be? No, I will be perfectly honest. I was actually interested in more going back into the 80s line and maybe grabbing a few of those, maybe even going back and trying to find my old uh, 80s figures. And they put the original five out. And I was, eh, I don't know if I'm going to get those. I was kind of on the fence. And that was the Snake Eyes Deluxe that was like 40 bucks on Hasbro Pulse, the Scarlet, the Duke, the Snake Eyes, and the Destro. I was not sold on them when I first saw them. I thought that they were pretty faithful to the originals with a few tweaks here and there, but I was like, you know what? 20 bucks a figure, and the Deluxe Snake Eyes is 40 I think that's kind of out of my price range. I think I'm going to pass. Yeah. Well, then I saw them in person, and I don't know if it happened to you, but I got all that flood of nostalgia coming back, oh, yeah. especially with the Snake Eyes and the Destro. Probably more so the Destro. The Destro is what did it for me, for sure. Oh, it's incredible. I mean, you want to talk about a faithful reproduction of what they did in the 80s, just a little more blown up for 2021 or 2020. That Destro is it. That's what did it for me. I was fully invested, fully on board. And to be perfectly honest, I don't know if my fandom of G.I. Joe in the 80s matches what it is now in 2021. Still love my wrestling figures, but man, G.I. Joe Classified is a real close second. They are really hitting. Like I didn't really feel like that th this would be such a hugely popular line, I guess. I mean, I knew it would be big, but I didn't think it would be like it has become because I was just like, oh, that's really cool. Like, I'm I'm excited for a new toy line. Um, and then the Cobra Island Target exclusive line. Yes. Hit shortly after Series 1, and that, that's kind of when we got, I think, a huge rude awakening to how crazy these are becoming and people – 
picking up a figure and immediately selling it <laughs> for a hundred and fifty bucks is uh is pretty wild. Yeah. Yeah, and you know what at the same time it's discouraging too. Because yes, when you miss yeah, you walk in, you wanna find it, okay, no big deal, I'll put some friends on the lookout and everybody's coming up dry. Now you're at the mercy of the secondary market and I'm gonna have to pay north of a hundred dollars for a Cobra Trooper. Are you kidding me? Right. It makes you guess or second guess your devotion to the line, really. And it's absolutely something that Hasbro has to look at. I've never cursed Target out so much in my life for their handling of the, the Cobra class or the, the Cobra Island line. It's so frustrating. But at the same time, the figures they're putting out are absolutely incredible. You can tell Hasbro's dedicated to this. They're still getting the kinks worked out. I, I, Target can absolutely do a better job. The bots are completely ruining the ordering process. But the figures overall, I agree with you, Breaker. They're just – they're incredible. The Flint – the Cobra Trooper, the Cobra Infantry, Zartan, Firefly, I mean, they're absolutely killing it with this line, and everyone is getting better. The Beachhead is just, oh my goodness, you guys are killing me with this. And if they ever introduce vehicles, oh man, you want to talk about wallet heat? Oh my goodness. Yeah, I know what you mean. But um, to kind of go back to the, the Target thing, I've had several people tell me they've seen like shows they're in stock, but we don't have any in the back. Mm-hmm. Like the app is saying you got it. We don't have any. Yep. Okay. And they leave and then they're put out the next morning and someone else got them. Yeah. It's frustrating, yeah. man. It, it really is. And, it, and like I said, it's something that Hasbro and Target, specifically Target, really need to work on. I've got a story. We've got a, a Target one city over, went in. They had them. They had – this was the – oh, gosh. Which one was this? It wasn't the Firefly and the Viper. It was the one before it. The uh, Cobra Trooper and Beachhead, maybe? Yes. Yes. I went in. They actually had them. I was like, great. I need the Cobra Trooper. Can you bring them out? And they told me that the street date, which, by the way, the street date had already been broken by pretty much every target that I had seen people posting pictures of. I oh, knew right. the yeah, because you're seeing it all, all over the internet. Everybody's getting them. But this target wanted to tell me we have a street date on them. We can't sell them. I said, okay, no problem. When is the street date? He told me the street date. I said, okay, I will be back on that street date at opening. I can come back here and you'll have those figures. Yes, we'll have those figures. Okay, no problem. It was like a week later. Yeah. The next day they were gone. <laughs> so somebody was abiding by the rules and the person at the shift after them wasn't and didn't care and just put them out. That's frustrating. Yeah, it is. Do I have to know somebody that works there? Uh, do I have to sneak in the back? Do I have to steal a Target shirt and walk in the back with my khakis and my Target shirt on, grab this case and go purchase? Like, what are the rules? Because you guys don't even know what the rules are. And it just, it makes it frustrating to be a collector, but at the same time, damn, those figures are cool. <laughs> well, I, I can't do, stop. <laughs> I, I do know, uh, you know, I've, uh, I've dived into a little bit into the NECA Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle figures and, and how they do um, those. I don't know if you follow those too much, but the Targets get the cartoon versions Walmart get the movie versions. Oh, is that how it goes? Yes. So it's a little. It's, oh, okay. I I focus more on the cartoon because I'm like I can't possibly try to collect both, you know. Okay. So I'm I'm just doing the cartoon ones, which that unfortunately that means Target. Now, gotcha. I've been yeah. pretty lucky with some guys locally who have who have found them because I mean literally these two packs which retail for like fifty two dollars, they will put out six of them and they're gone in minutes, you know. So. It's been very, very difficult, but I have noticed more lately they've been getting more, and they're 
Well, that's good. So my point being is I think maybe Target is realizing the demand. It just may take a while for them to catch up to what needs to be done. So for future G.I. Joe lines, hopefully, you know, if, you know, the next Cobra Island wave, if there's two exclusive figures in that wave, when they hit, maybe we'll get more. I don't know. And I don't know if that's – and I've seen some targets posting – one per person type of thing so that right. one guy can't come in and purchase six of them and sell them on online for three times the, the amount of money. Um, because I, I don't know if you know this, but I, I had heard this with uh, with NECA, and I and I think this might have been why they were disappearing so quickly. Apparently NECA, there was a NECA rep who actually put the stuff in place in Targets. And what the guys would do, because a friend of mine said he saw this, he would put out all the stock – Take a picture of it to show that he put it all out, and then go buy it himself to resell. Oh, it. oh! You've got the re- you can't compete with that, right? And so I think what Target is doing now is they themselves are putting out the stock, so it's staying Good. on the shelves a little bit longer. Perfect. And I and maybe NECA is shipping more product too Good. to try I to think, meet I the think demand. It's probably both, yeah. Yeah, and so again, I I really think that Hasbro and Target need to to sit down at the table and figure out. How do we get this product, which is obviously in high demand? Do we ramp up production? What do we got to do to get this in all of the collector's hands and not just the guys that want to purchase them all to uh, sell on the secondary market? Yeah, It's got to be a coordinated effort here. But first and foremost, man, come on, Target. Kill those bots. Yes. <laughs> They're getting all the G.I. Joe figures. It's killing us. Well, it's like what a, I, I've, I've, Jeff has joked about me saying this before, but I'm like this is not a good business model where you walk in and there's nothing on the pegs. It's like, oh, it's I horrible. have money in my pocket. I want to give you this. <laughs> yes, I want to spend money in your store, and you're making it literally impossible for me to do that. Right. And, and, and I don't know. I feel like 2020, 2021 action figures hit an all, all-time high probably as far as popularity, you're correct. I feel like. Yeah, absolutely they did. And, and it's showing with, with not being able to find anything or things disappearing so quickly. But I just – I wish you know we were able to get – a little bit more on the pegs. And I don't know how much that's going to help if someone still plans to just buy everything and resell it. I'm not sure, but I go back to when I was a kid, you know, I don't, I don't recall ever seeing just empty pegs all the time. No, absolutely not. There was always the Hasbros. Yeah. You'd walk in the Toys R Us to go look at the Hasbros. It was like an eight foot section of Toys R Us devoted top to bottom all Hasbro figures. Right. You wanted any series, any figure, you walk in to pick it up. It's right there. So Jeff kind of brought up that question on a recent show and was like, are they not doing the volume they were before? Are they not producing as many of these? Or are there just more people in the hunt for these things now? And I don't know what it is, but it seems to me with Hasbro and G.I. Joe specifically, they really kind of undershot the demand on these. They didn't really see the demand that people were going to have for the nostalgia wave the way it is now that people were really going to be clamoring for these figures. Hopefully now we're about, what, a year into the G.I. Joe line. I'm hoping that the production starts to match the demand at least somewhat so it's not as impossible to get these. Like, I don't mind if it's hard to get them. Just don't make it impossible like Target has been doing. Well, I've I've heard some interviews with Jeremy uh, Padauer, who does, of course, the AEW line, and he's also responsible for the Classic Superstars line as well from Jax. Yes, and he's talked about that they kind of undershipped AEW Series One to gauge the interest. Yes, because they did not want it to just be sitting there on the pegs because that's not good. 
because that could mean that the store potentially will not be ordering more waves. Right. And, right. It's smart. Right. And he, he kind of talked about like it, it exceeded expectations exponentially. Like in, in now, like I dare you to go find an AEW figure on the pegs. You're just not going to do it. They're gone immediately. No, they're unicorns. Yeah. So, but I, again, that's great for the line. That means it's going to continue, but also very hard because they hit and then they're gone very quickly. Exactly. Exactly. And I understand their hesitation right off the bat with Series 1 and maybe even Series 2, but clearly now you see the demand for these figures. So I'm hoping for Jazzwares, for Hasbro, with the G.I. Joe line, start ramping up those numbers because the demand's there. It's it's my dream to walk into a Walmart or a Target and see fully stocked pegs again. Right. I, I see it, and it's fine if I don't find every figure I want. But at least give me a couple. Like Jeff the other night or the other day went shopping for figures. He hit like four or five different stores, found nothing, literally bought a a 10-inch Funko Superman just to say he bought something to go home with, like a trophy. (laughs) Like like you said, you're walking into the store with money. You want to buy something. There's no product to buy. That's frustrating. So you end up just buying something that, okay, just to take a trophy home. And it shouldn't be like that. I mean – we're toy collectors. We're in this to buy the toys. And when you walk into empty pegs, it's impossible. Yeah. It, it's disappointing. So I, I hope that they're able to kind of figure this out more. And I don't know if things like Brick Seek and stuff is kind of hurting us more than it's helping because obviously it's nice to know, oh, the numbers jump. They do have stuff. Yeah. But other people know this too. And there's no secret anymore. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and so, I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I, I've, I've talked to Travis Fowler. We've joked about this. Like, I don't know how many times if I've walked into like a Walmart, not really knowing if they had anything and seeing something like, oh my gosh, they have this. And like, maybe I went in there, like I needed to buy deodorant or toothpaste or something, a household item. <laughs> I see yes. a toy that I'm like, whoa, I can't believe they have it. And I grab it and I go, then I forget to buy what I came in for. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's the thrill of the hunt, right? Yeah, man. Like, for sure. like that's the fun of it. You go in for something else, and oh, I'll just go check the toys. And oh, hey, cool! Look, they have this thing I've been looking for. The best part was back in the day is when you'd walk in and you'd see something brand new that you didn't even know was coming out. Hundred percent, a new Hasbro. Yes, that was the best. Or like a new Jax figure, or yeah. even like back in the day was an LJN. I remember the first time I walked in and saw an SD Jones. And a Bruno San Martino LJN, I had no idea they were coming out. Sure. And just, oh my goodness, I was so excited. It was great. There's not that thrill of the hunt part anymore where you're going to see something on the pegs that you didn't know it was coming out. But it is cool when you can walk in and find something when you weren't expecting it. And by taking out that Pop Finder or Brick Seek and just getting that surprise on the pegs again, man, I miss that. I still think, like, you know, when, when Mattel did the retro line, because there's, there's some occasional Mattel lines. Like, they did that with Then Now Forever where things would just show up and we didn't know they were happening. Yes. Yep. Like, imagine if those retros just hit and no one knew about it. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine? You walk in and there's Hasbro-style figures sitting there of current guys. Oh, my goodness. You talk Mind about blown. exploding the internet. And I get why they put <laughs> it out there ahead of time because it's such a big thing. But, yes, like, that would have blown people's minds. I, I still remember the very first time I saw the original Hasbro line on the pegs because mm-hmm. I didn't know they were coming. You know, I was still an LJN kid and all of a sudden I, I saw that iconic WWF logo cause they were on like a side end cap and I was like, <gasps> and I ran over there and I picked up the macho man and I was just like, Whoa, <laughs> these are so cool. 
and which is crazy because they were such a different scale from LJN, but polar opposites. Yeah. But, but I needed them because they were so cool looking. Absolutely. I remember when we first found out about Hasbro's was we were watching primetime wrestling and like you LJN kids growing up and we're expecting to see the next wave of LJN show up on gorilla and Bobby's desk. And this particular episode, there's these little figures sitting on the desk and we're watching primetime on a 13 inch television. There's no pause. We're like, what in the hell are those? <laughs> Getting right up on the screen. <laughs> right up on the screen. I still blame that for my horrible vision today, just like <laughs> squinting in front of the screen like, oh, my God, is that Rick Rude? Is that Macho Man? We're trying to figure out who's who. And then that begins the daily phone calls multiple times a day to Toys R Us. Hey, do you have the new WWF figures in yet? So had it not been shown on primetime, we would have had no idea that LJN had shifted to Hasbro and we were getting these polar opposite scales. Well, and I remember, I don't want to keep you here all night, so we'll wrap it up with this, but I remember when the Hasbro commercials would hit, and I, you know, we, we've <laughs> talked about how great those were, but I remember at yes. the end, they would always say, like, you know, each sold separately, and it would usually show a big shot of all the figures. Right. And I remember quickly trying to, like, identify every guy. Yep. Because every now and then you'd see one, and you're like, oh, I didn't know they made him, because, you know, the, the commercial would highlight... A handful of guys, they didn't highlight all of them. Right. And then all of a sudden, That's right. it's like, new WWF figures, boom, and they hit all that whole wave, and you're like, whoa, what? What was that? Was that Greg Valentine? And you know, it was like, you start kind of wondering, was that who? Was that, was that him? Was that him? And then, oh, so much fun. And of course- And the kicker's no pause button. Right. Absolutely. And you're just hoping that commercial plays again, you know, during the show. Yes. Yeah, and, you're trying to grab onto five seconds to find the who's out in the new wave. And, oh, got to wait for the commercial to come back on again. You're right. And then, of course, the, how the figures were, you know, they'd be all in the pegs. You're flipping through, trying to f see who all they had, looking at the back, seeing any new pictures. Oh, man, those were the days. They really were, and it was that whole surprise factor. And, man, I miss it from the surprise factor on the pegs to, to full pegs. And I hate to be the back-in-my-day guy, but, man, it was great. <laughs> I loved it. Yeah, it really was. But, I mean, you think about it, Toys R Us – KB Toys, they couldn't survive with empty pegs. I don't know how they could. Well, and you know what's funny is, I, I know you want to wrap it up, but really quick, Toys R Us going away, I think is really what caused the secondary market to spike. You know what? You might be right. Because we don't have that big box toy store to go to anymore that was getting a ton of these figures that up until its dying day still had full pegs of wrestling figures. Wasn't necessarily everybody you were looking for, but you could count on them to have full pegs of wrestling when you went in. Mm -hmm. And they went away in mid-2018. Ever since then, it seems that the secondary market, and I'll just be specific to wrestling figures, has just gone through the roof. Now, of course, there was the Harley hysteria with that elite flashback Harley that really kicked it off. But not having Toys R Us as a major distributor of figures, be it wrestling or G.I. Joe or whatever, I think that's really causing the secondary market to blow up right now. Well, and I still think Toys R Us, if they if they reevaluated the business model, because I, I'm sure they're the same for you guys, but my Toys R Us was huge. Yeah, same here. Everyone I went to was big. Two that or were around three here anyway. action figure aisles. Yes. I mean, okay, I get you need you know you need the Barbies, you need the Hot Wheels, you need the video games, but I mean, do you need all the big Power Wheels and Playhouse? And I understand, like, yeah, little kids want all that stuff, but. It was such a huge building, and to me, you'd have to look at, like, okay, what's going to move? What's what's the stuff that's going to move quickly? And I would have yeah. to think selling 
action figures, things like that, small items, is probably a big majority of what they were selling the most of. I could be wrong because, I mean, I, granted, I'm biased because that's what I'm into, but I feel like, you know, the big playhouses, the Power Wheels, that's a Christmas gift. That's a birthday gift. That's not year-round. Right. It doesn't need to be a year-round item, and I think you're right. Had they looked at that, but, man, Toys R Us, for me, was the same in the 70s and the 80s that it was up until its dying day. Like you said, they had the playhouses, the power ho- or the power wheels, the action figures, the Barbies, the video games. They always had that same selection of product. And if they had maybe scaled it back a little bit, who knows if they would have been able to stick around. But I'm hoping one day, because remember there was that failed KB Toys launch yeah. that was rumored never happened. I'm hoping we get one of those two back or somebody like them that can just be about toys again. I feel fingers like, crossed. Well, and you know, right now, I, I keep saying I want to wrap it up, and we keep talking. That's <laughs> the way. That's the way it goes, though. But I, yes, <laughs> I, I, I think though nowadays a lot of the the companies Hasbro, NECA, and all that stuff they're getting these stores exclusive lines because that creates buzz for them to sell more product. Yeah. So if a new toy store, you know. KB Toys R Us. Let's say they call it that, right? And they, it's like a mega powers, it. mega powers handshake. But I imme- dig it. Immediately, if they announce, like, okay, we'll have exclusive Marvel Legends, we'll have exclusive GI Joe, exclusive NECA, exclusive WWE, exclusive Transformers. Right away, like all these companies are going to produce exclusive product for you. You'd have to be an immediate success in 2020, in my opinion. Oh, there's no doubt about it because you're immediately endearing yourselves to all the collectors that like you and I that are having a hard time finding those at the other big box stores. Well, hey, now there's this new player. Maybe we'll have a better shot right here. So I think it's prime time for a toy company or or a, a big box toy company to really step up and put themselves into this market. I really do too. And hopefully, you know, hopefully that happens sometime soon because I think it would be, it would be great. And I think it would definitely be a, a shot to the arm that we all need right now. Totally agree with you, Breaker. Dude, Scott, this has been so much fun. It's always it's always cool kind of catching up and getting to talk G.I. Joe, wrestling, all that fun stuff, man. It's been a blast. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on, Breaker. Thank you for always supporting Drunk Wrestling History and especially Fully Posable. We love having you as one of our tag team partners, and I just want to thank you for everything, and thank you for having me on today. Absolutely. And, of course, real quick, check out Drunk Wrestling History. Check out Fully Posable, all that good stuff. They're great shows. I highly recommend both of them. And, Scott, hopefully we can do it again down the road, man. I look forward to it, my friend. Thank you. Thank you, Breaker. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed this edition of You Know It's Fake, right? Um, with Scott Toon from the Fully Posable Wrestling Figure Podcast. Last week I had Barry Frost from Doing the Favor, and this week I uh, threw it back to the OGs. Fully posable and um, great talking to those guys. Jeff was on a few weeks ago. Scott, you know, on this week, and Eric Brown will be coming up very soon. But uh, next week, my guest is a. I'm going back to the wrestling pool. I'm going with the one and only, the Wizard of the Sea, Riker. Um, in fact, if you are an Oklahoma wrestling fan, Riker made his return to the ring recently at OKX2, winning uh, the Neil Family Battle Royal. Kind of as a big surprise. A lot of people didn't uh, didn't expect him to be there. And uh, we actually recorded this before that happened. So um, I don't even know if uh, a return to wrestling was even kind of in his mindset at that point. So, But we had a great conversation. He stopped over at the uh, at the studio here. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was great. You know, he made a lot of interesting comparisons of 
of the perception of wrestling, and I've always enjoyed that. That's a big factor as to why I do this show is getting people's perspectives and why why they think the way they do. You know, the the per- public perception of pro wrestling and how other people take it and things like that. It's it's so much fun. And I've known Riker for several years now, and he, you know, he's one of those guys. I thought, man, this, there's there's something here. There's something there's there's something here with this guy. And uh, you know, getting to sit down and chat with him. I've I've had him on the show a couple of times, but getting to sit down and chat with him again was was really fun. Great guy to talk to. Um, I, once again, I mentioned at the top of the show, but if you want to support the show, a rating and review over on Apple helps immensely. Sharing it on social media, you know, guys like Ringside Designs, Drew Vinsel, Sammy Evans. Um, Dobro, can't forget about Dobo, GBM, doing the favor, fully posed, all those guys, Mike the Cleaner, I don't leave anyone out, but people that just retweet and share, Nate from Ring Skirts, Soda Hunter, you know, like there's so many, um, if just a quick share means so much, because it gets, it just gets more eyeballs on the show, and, uh, you know, especially with guys like Barry, you know, or Scott, that, you know, maybe people listen to doing the favor, but they don't listen to this show. I think you'll dig this show, you know, and um, getting to talk to other people kind of outside their format, I think is a lot of fun. So I definitely appreciate it. Any and all support. And of course, you know, fully posable, doing the favor, the positively pro wrestling podcast, ringside rant, leisure and lariats podcast, elite eight showdown, boot to the face, tales from the estate, wreck my podcast, trivia with buds, howling with the wolf, pulling up a chair with the chair shot, the nerdy laser podcast, that's just to name a few. If you're not listening to those shows, you should be because they're your great, great content. And I know there's a million podcasts out there, literally over a million, and uh, it's hard to dive into all of them, but check them out. I also have on good authority that uh, Big Underscore Bane's back in the studio with old Bill Benus. Yikes. And, you know, speaking of that, of course, you know, the flagship show, Breaker and Bane's Power Hour, we're rapidly approaching 400 episodes, which is crazy to think. Um, so check out that as well. And then, uh, you know, um, I'm sure some of you have seen that me and Travis Fowler started a, a bit of a side project, the TB Toycast. And man, have I had some issues with uh, the distribution. It's up. The link is there. You can find it on Apple. You just can't search it. And there's no, like, actual link. It's been a, a bit of weird transition for sure. And basically, you'd have to, like, copy the RSS feed, add it manually, you know, and I'm like, yeah, people don't want to do that. It, it just, it's difficult. I think clicking a link or being able to search out a show is the way to do it. So it's definitely, um, it's been a challenge because I know Apple is the way a lot of people do listen. That's how I listen personally. So I did, I did something that I thought might help. If you have not seen it yet, this might be a, w- a way for you to listen to it. I, I put the first two episodes on the back to the Nintendo feed, which is a show I had a couple of years ago. And we haven't had a sh- an episode in a while. And so I thought, you know what? I, I still have that feed. It's still there. Why not? And so I added episodes one and two of the TV toy cast on that feed as well. So you can still listen to Spotify. Um, but if you want, if you were an Apple user, and I, I'm, I'm kind of the way, and I'm sure a lot of you guys are the same. I try to keep my shows all kind of in one place. I don't want to go to this app and that app and all that stuff. It gets confusing, but I like everything to be on Apple. And so I know that probably kept people from listening. And so hopefully that changed that and helped. So you can listen to them there. I'm hoping that the feed um, works by episode three, but if it doesn't, I will upload them to both platforms. So it'll be on the back to the Nintendo feed and the TV toy cast feed. This is super frustrating for me. Obviously that's not what I want. It is what it is. Anyone that does podcasting knows there's usually a, a delay period from submitting it to showing up on Apple where it's like searchable. 
And I don't know what's going on there. I've talked to a couple of guys. Richard Yule's very helpful um, from the Nerdy Laser podcast, another guest that will be coming up on the show sometime down the road. And he said, oh, no, you have, sometimes you have to add them manually to Apple. They don't automatically distribute. And I'm like, well, I've never had to do that before, but apparently that's a new thing. I think I did it. I think I got it right, but we, we shall see. Uh, it's a couple days ahead of when this drops when I'm recording this, so I would like to think that the link is up by now, I hope. If not, you know, I'll, I'll still distribute through back to the Nintendo, and hopefully we can get everybody on the same page before too long. But thank you for sticking with me. Um, thank you for checking out You Know It's Fake Right. Make sure to follow all the social media platforms, at Brian Breaker ODR on Twitter, at Brian Breaker on Instagram, and then, uh, of course, BBPH for everything Breaker in vain, and at TB Toycast. Thank you guys for listening to You Know It's Fake Right. And remember, as the great Johnny Valentine once said, I cannot make you believe that wrestling is real, but I sure as hell can make you believe that I am. I'm Brian Breaker. This is You Know It's Fake Right, and we will see you guys next time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Mr. Wonderful. I've been around for a minute, and I can stand toe-to-toe with the best of the minute. Don't give a damn about critics, they talk a lot, but at the end of the night, I'm selling the tickets. All the tough guys avoid me, the ladies all adore me, paparazzi record me, I can put on a clinic, all my opposers are born.